What if you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious? Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Welcome back, everyone. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Al D. Al is the founder of Better Work Labs, an organization focused on helping companies create cultures where their people can thrive. He is an author, speaker, podcast host, and researcher on workplace trends and talent development. Al is passionate about helping individuals and organizations flourish in the changing world of work and in unlocking individual purpose and potential to achieve organizational performance. Al's thinking and insights have been published in outlets such as Business Insider, the World Economic Forum, Inc., and Time Magazine. Al is also the founder of MBA Schooled, author of MBA Insider, How to Make the Most of Your MBA Experience, and is host of the MBA Insider podcast. Al, thanks for being here today with me. Kathy, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for this conversation. Well, where I often start, Al, is with understanding people's own career journeys before we kind of jump into some other topics. So I'd I'd love to start there with you as well. And the first thing that kind of jumped out at me, maybe because I studied business as well in both undergraduate and graduate school, but I thought it was interesting that at Boston College, you studied both business and theology. And I think those are really interesting, you know, topics or or subjects to kind of delve into and to mix together. And so I, I wanted to just understand, like, what led you to choose those two topics as, as majors? And what did you take away from studying both of those? Yeah. And I think part of this is a lesson in serendipity. So when I applied to Boston College, where I did my undergrad, you had to select one of their four undergraduate schools. They had a school in nursing, arts and sciences, education, and management. And originally when I applied, I applied to the School of Arts and Sciences, and that's what I was admitted under. But somewhere through my senior year of high school, I realized, you know what? I actually was really interested in business. Uh, I really loved the idea of a liberal arts education, but I kind of knew I wanted to do business or whatever I thought business was. And at the time, I went back to my guidance counselor and I said to him, I said, hey, I'm really interested in business. Do you think there's a way for me to switch uh, and apply to a different school instead, or if they'll if they'll honor that. And he actually was a BC alum. And so he called up his friend who worked in the admissions office, who was a former classmate of his when they both were at BC, and he was able to finagle me into the business school. And I say serendipity because a year later, uh, they actually cut off that availability. And pretty much nowadays, you pretty much, it is so hard to get into the business school uh, af- uh, when you're an undergrad after you've applied. And so... What that enabled me to do, though, was that I knew I was going to study business and I was going to get a good undergraduate business education. But what it allowed me to do was to then think about what was I curious about? What was I intrigued by? What was I interested in? Uh, Boston College is a Catholic Jesuit institution, and one of the core elements of that is a liberal arts education. And so my freshman year, I had to take two semesters of philosophy and theology. Uh, And I took a class on philosophy and theology 
read a lot about great theologians and philosophers, and I was hooked. I just loved uh, how they were curious, how they thought, how they came up with arguments and ideas, and how they defended them, um, in some cases, literally to their death. And so I just kept studying and taking more and more classes. And by the time I got to my senior year, uh, I was pretty close from coming up with a, with a major in it. And so I just went for it. And uh, very tactically, my, a lot of my business classes were pretty structured in that there was a midterm, a final, and then two group projects. Whereas in my theology classes, we sat in a round kind of uh, concoction. We debated ideas. Um, the, sometimes the finals were you having a conversation with a professor. And so it just stretched my mind in different ways. And so a, a lesson in serendipity, because my life could have been totally different had my uh, guidance counselor not you know, gotten me in. But B, uh, the ability to be curious about things and to explore them is something that is an essential theme in my life. And I think something that has come from the better. And then you know, the last thing I would just say is that I think sometimes you have an idea of what you want to do and what you think you need to be doing. Uh, but when you pay attention uh, to what's going on and what you notice, opportunities can kind of come from that. And so that's how I ended up becoming uh, a business and theology major. Oh, I love that. And you just have been mentioning some things that I get really passionate about. So one being following your curiosity, really being being curious just in and of itself. And also this idea of paying attention, which I kind of talk about. I love where you took that too, Al, because oftentimes I talk about paying attention maybe a little bit more in terms of like, you know, when you start to recognize like a change coming and like being aware of like either how you're feeling, what might be your body signals might be coming or just your how your energy might be changing. But you also just which I think is really important to emphasize this idea of paying attention to also what is catching your curiosity and, and where maybe that's where the energy comes in. Yeah. I mean, in a very simple term, there's a lot of things that happen every day, right? And so many more things than you probably can at the end of the day, remember. Right. And I think just the sheer focus, I know this is very meta, but paying attention to paying attention, I think can be really, really powerful to unlocking insights that are very easy to gloss over. And that can be in the context of the actual work you do each day to your own thoughts about where you want to go in your life and your career, uh, et cetera. But it's definitely something uh, I just, I tell people my default mode is self-reflection. And so, uh, which has its own set of challenges that come with it. Uh, but as a result of that, that is something that has fueled a lot of my curiosity of just having that default to always just be curious about what's happening in my mind. Mm, love that. And we're going to, I want to come back to that. But before we do, I wanted to just hear a little bit more about your career journey and kind of how you made, you know, you've had a few jumps and, and just kind of curious how you've thought about the career pivots that you have made. So I, I think you started in consulting and then you've made a few jumps from there, but maybe you can just sh share with us kind of a, a few of your career what, journey and what's brought you to what you're doing now and kind of how you thought about some of those career pivots that you've made. Yeah. I think the, the, at the core of it, it really has been around that curiosity. And uh, that was what the reason why I got into consulting in the first place, because and I, like many other people, I think, who go into consulting, uh, they are interested in trying a number of different things, maybe not just focusing on one thing. And I did that for a couple of years, went to business school, I went back. And after doing that for a while, I became curious again. And while the, the beauty of consulting is that if you do it right, you can you can always be challenged and there will always be challenges that come your way. I began to become more curious about the things that I could not get working in a consulting firm. So very tactical example, 
going to the same office building and sitting at the same desk each and every day. That was not something I knew for about the first seven years of my career. I was genuinely curious about what that was going to be like. Uh, not having to wake up at 4 a.m. on a Monday morning and come back at Thursday night at midnight, that was something I was genuinely curious about. But those tactical things aside, I think more philosophically, oh, at that time, I had spent a lot of time working at the intersection of people, technology, and organizations, and really helping executives think about how do we move on and inspire our organization to think and work in new ways with technology. And I just had this itching feeling of what would it actually be like to go and work at a company that was building innovative technology in new ways. And so that curiosity was something that was something that piqued my interest. I think the other thing and what really prompted the, the change at the time um, was also just where I was in my life. I had uh, been graduated from business school. And up until that point, I would, I would have told you that when I was maybe about eight, you know, when I thought back to what I thought quote unquote success was when I was like in high school, it was like, all right, do well in high school, do well in college, get a good first job, get an MBA degree, and then you're good. And so I got to a point where I was like, wait, I did all of those things, but I know I'm not done. And I know I'm going to be working for a long time. But I had seen enough to know that the path I was going on wasn't something I wanted to keep going on. And so I just kind of asked myself, well, well, then what do I want to do? If I, if I agree that maybe I don't want to be doing this right now, what else is out there that would be interesting to me? And then again, using that thread of curiosity to go and find that. And so that was that was how the first kind of change from moving on from consulting to doing product marketing within a tech company came about. And again, a little bit of serendipity, a little bit of uh, relationship building. I ended up actually working at Salesforce where I actually did my summer internship when I was in business school. And a lot of that came from some of the relationships that I built uh, from that time there. So, um, you know, I think the, the funny thing sometimes about, and I'm sure you can appreciate this working in the field that we do, is that sometimes you have to eat your own dog food or, or take your own medicine, right? And so a lot of the practices and active activities that we often have to encourage, you know, people that work with us, you know, around thinking through a change or exploring different careers, I had to go and do those myself. But I think originally it was going back to realizing that where I was at a place in my life where I really wanted something different and then being able to explore that curiosity a little bit further which ended up ironically leading me back to a place that uh, I had seen already. But um, you didn't know, you don't know that when you start the curiosity journey. Uh, sometimes you have to go through it to figure that out. For sure. I really appreciate that last, I mean, all of what you shared, Al, and then that last point in particular too, that like sometimes you do, you have to go through this journey and you have to explore and you have to get into action. And then you're not quite sure where you're going to land. And that feels really uncomfortable for a lot of people. And what I appreciate about what you're describing too, like one, you've already said, like, I'm really curious. I believe in self-reflection and I, I will still come back to that. But one of the things you're also describing is you get into action. And I think a lot of people can also so often get stopped and not get into action. And I'm curious where you find the, the courage to get into action. Yeah, no, it's a great point. It's a great call out. And I mentioned before, I think my default mode is, is to go in self-reflection. And so the, the, down, the potential downside of that, if you're, not, uh, if you're not careful and thoughtful, is exactly what you're describing of just continuously reflecting and reflecting and reflecting. And it's, it's really hard uh, to be uh, successful in something just by reflecting. You actually, at some point, got to do the darn thing. So uh, a framework I just kind of came up for with myself is this idea of like, fundamentally, everything goes back to two things, thinking and doing. You're either thinking about something or you're going out and doing it. Now, there's a little bit of nuance there because you could throw in reflection, but fundamentally, it's about thinking and doing. And so for me, it's just knowing A, when I need to be in which mode, B, 
when I'm over-indexing to one or the other, and then C, when I get stuck, what are my triggers that I need to use to get unstuck from that particular point? And so for me, I've what I've built in because I have that default setting of just being reflective is the thinking piece, right? And so I just intentionally, whether I want to or not, at the end of the day, I'm going to reflect on what it is I did that day. Or after a meeting, I'm going to reflect on that. But I have had to build in some triggers because of this framework around of like, all right, well, like, when is it time to move out of reflection and either move on to the next thing? Or after I've been ruminating on something for so long, actually take the steps to then actually go and do something about it. And it's not doing something for the sake of action. It's doing something so that I can actually get a chance to maybe reflect again at some point because I'll have another piece of feedback to to kind of synthesize and take in. And so that's something that has helped me. Uh, and what to, to answer your question about what gives me the courage, I, I think part of it is just the ability to keep playing the game. The 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 more you know, the, going back like sports analogy, right? It's like it's hard to get become a better free throw shooter in basketball just by thinking about the free throws that you're going to potentially take. The, the best way to do it is to, to go actually go and shoot them, right? And so taking the action is just a reframe of getting the chance to play and keep playing versus wondering if you could have done it or how you could have done it or what you would do if you could have done it. And just getting the chance to play is just so much more enriching and there's so much more fulfilling just, just you know, thinking about it and being on the sidelines. Yeah, that's so great. And I mean, I talk about this idea, like, you know, I, I borrow from Herminia Ibarro, who wrote, wrote the book Working Identity, and you're nodding your head. Yeah, who's, which, you know, came out some time ago, but it really was, I think, a seminal book that really talks about, like, you got to get into action and try these things on. And I love how you're bringing it to this analogy of playing the game, right? And being able to, you know, learn, you know, and to help you get unstuck. And I'm, I'm also curious out if, you would be willing to share a tip. Like, do you have a tip of what you've used to get yourself unstuck when you're kind of trying to get yourself into action and you, you, you're getting a little in your own way perhaps, or something's getting in the way. Is there a tip you have to kind of try this? If you, you know, it might just be one of the things in your toolbox. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, not one of my very easy tricks is just having a really supportive partner who understands, uh, the, my default mode and is always uh, brave enough to ask the question of, have you thought, are you sure, are you sure you still need to keep thinking about this? So, so that helps. And and that could be a partner. It could be a coach. It could be a mentor. It could be a, a manager, but also having someone around you who understands your default setting and can, when they, they see you maybe gravitating towards a certain way, uh, help with a little bit of an intervention. So I think, uh, outside, uh, outside help always helps, but internally for me, I think I will go through, because I think so much, I often use questions sometimes to help me process things. And I think sometimes being able to ask some questions that urge you to take an action can sometimes be really, really helpful. And so I might go and ask myself eventually, if I'm starting to wonder if I'm thinking about this too much, of what, what's, what's the smallest thing that I could do that would help me move this forward, right? And a lot of times, I think I've noticed for myself, and I've also noticed with people I've worked with in the past, Sometimes just the thought of doing something is what paralyzes people. And so when you think about the smallest thing, it becomes much more amenable. And it also gives you a little bit of momentum if you can actually go and do that thing. I think the other thing, quite frankly, that helps sometimes is just to time box, right? And to say, okay, I realized I have exhausted my means of thinking about this thing. 
and I am putting a bow on it. And then after this point in time, I'm going to be done thinking about it. And so if I want to revisit that thing, the only thing at that point that I can do is to actually do something about it because I have given it its piece and I have moved on to thinking about other things. And so I, I've also found that to be incredibly helpful as well. And I think the, what the phrase is, uh, constraints is the mother or, or the uh, mother of necessity or necessity, or I'm, I'm butchering it. I think you're nodding because I think you might know what I mean, but, um, but I, essentially putting a constraint sometimes can help breed innovation because it makes you think differently about how to solve the thing. So putting some artificial constraints around timing sometimes can help me kind of uh, put it in its place and, and, and move forward with whatever I need to do. Mm. Those are all such great tips. Thank you for that. I butcher like expressions all the time. So I, <laughs> I, I wish I could help you out in that case, Al. I was trying to get it in my own head and I'm like, I'm just going to fumble it with you. So no, no, we're, all, we're all just doing our best out here. It's all exactly, good. Exactly. Well, I, I do want to go ahead and talk about this idea of self-reflection and self-awareness. And I know it's mm -hmm. something that you champion. And I also really believe like people before they start to jump into well, what's next for my career? They need to start with attuning to themselves. And yet, you know, I've been having these conversations with people recently where there's this uncomfortableness with being self-reflective and looking at themselves or being self-aware. And I've been wondering, like, is it because of like the term self-help books or something? And like that has a negative connotation, but I'm curious if you've like run into that with other people where they're kind of like, they're almost afraid or embarrassed to kind of be self-reflective. And, I, you know, now you told us about your education and studying theology and philosophy, and perhaps that's what, what's attracted you to it. But what makes you so comfortable with stepping into self-reflection? I don't know if that is that training or just how you're wired. I tend to be a thinker too. I think I'm a thinker and a doer, but, um, you know, how do you help other people kind of step into that? Or have you found that other people, do you find that people get challenged by that or, and how do you think about getting people over that barrier? Yeah, I think, I think it's a couple of things. I, I do think that there's probably a portion out there of people who would identify with what you said about their aversion to self-help or to anything related to self-reflection. I, I do also think that a lot of times it can be easier to equate progress to doing something versus thinking. And I think in society, we often value action very much. And, and we just talked about how you, you can't think yourself into something new. So keeping it in its place, but the, the over-index of always doing is that you don't actually think about to what the doing is for. And so I think that sometimes some people, I think just either by default, just as resort to just doing, or just prefer to do that because for them, it's just their preference. And it's a lot, quote unquote, easier for them just to go and execute versus actually having to take the time uh, to think about it. I do think that for people for which self-reflection or self-awareness might come second nature, just being told to reflect sometimes just doesn't do it for you. And I can respect that. And I, and I understand that because it is a little amorphous. And when you've never had if you don't have the mindset and you've never been given the tools, it just kind of sounds aspirational, but doesn't actually have any bite. And so I think that is another challenge as well, or something that I've also seen. Um, so for me, like it is a little bit of my default mode. So I, I definitely share that. Uh, additionally, you're right. It is a little bit of my training and education. Um, so I not only did I go to Boston College, but I went to a Jesuit Catholic 
middle school and high school uh, and very early age, the Jesuits taught three things, the three B's, be reflective, be attentive, and be loving. So like it literally is in the DNA of the 10 years of, of, of education that I've had. But what I've found and, and why I stick with it is because it hasn't been able to serve me well in all of the roles that I've played in my life, whether that's personally or professionally. And I've continued to get feedback where it's been helpful from other people. So I just keep leaning into it. And when you're the only one on the team sometimes who is asking the questions to slow down and to stop or to do the retrospective after you finish something, and it ends up being really helpful or being really impactful in different ways, that to me was a feedback signal of maybe I should keep doing this every now and then, right? And so, and I think for the, the people out there who perhaps are, are, are struggling uh, with this, I mean, I think the advice I would give if, or the the idea that I would kind of plant in their minds would be going back to that framework I gave about thinking and doing. And if you are finding yourself where you're constantly just doing without much thought, the question should be, what else might I be missing? If, or, or what could, uh, what could I be allocating some of this time towards uh, if I pushed it towards thinking and, and what might I be able to do? Right. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of how I've been able to, help some people who have, who have, cause I, cause I do, I do also think maybe, and I'd be curious to hear what you think. I do think there are people out there that would love to be more self-reflective or the, they would love to know how to do this, but uh, they just don't, don't have the ways in which to always go about it or express it. And it does also kind of seem kind of silly. Like, hey, like, how do you, how do you be more self You know what I mean? Like, it's not necessarily <laughs> like a natural thing. No, I think that's such a wise observation and to just put out there that this isn't a natural state and that you do need prompts, right? It's not just necessarily like, you're right. What do I ask myself? And for me, I'm kind of, uh, maybe I'm too self-reflective, but it's kind of like, I love it when I hear questions even again, because I'm like, Ooh, you know, I, I haven't looked at my values for a while. Maybe I'll ask these questions again. Right. So I think you're right that people, probably new who aren't where it's not as in, and I don't even think that it is intuitive. It, I do think you need prompts to help you with self-reflection. I don't, you know, um, maybe some people are, are more attuned to kind of it being a natural state, but I think, um, having prompts that kind of guide you through or going to a class or having a coach or what have you, um, can be really helpful in this process. And, I think it's, you know, one of the quotes, uh, I might not get this one quite right either, but it's, you know, by Henry David Thoreau, who kind of says, you know, you know, we can all be, it's not quite this, but it's essentially, we can be busy, but it's like, what are we busy about? And I think, right. and there's like the stats around, hey, so many, like, if you think of business leaders or people operating in business where it's like, you know, hey, we think strategic thinking is really important for leaders. And yet like 98% of them can't find time to think, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, and to be self-reflective and to pause even for what, 15 minutes, really, you can't go for a walk and think for 15 minutes. So I do think there that you're right in, in the hecticness and kind of fast paced nature of our lives, we get into these rhythms that don't allow for pausing and for that space for reflection. And then I think you're right that we also are not practiced in it. We don't know mm -hmm. what are the questions we should be asking ourselves. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I do have a quote that I know uh, uh, verbatim and it's because I took that philosophy class that I think is relevant for this. And it's from uh, the uh, Pascal, the French philosopher, and it's all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quiet in a room alone. For sure. Right. 
Yeah. Like, so, you know, just look at our culture today. <laughs> exactly. So if that were the case, the business case for, for, for why we should pay more attention to something like this, it's, it's that quote. Mm, love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So, so the antithesis of that, or if you flip that is essentially the, 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 the answer to everything is to sit in reflection. Yeah. At least for a little bit, I, I think, right. um, in, right. in, you know, just as a, as a mental model, right. think back to some decisions you made in your life that didn't go your way. Could an hour, hour more of thought or 30 minutes more of thought maybe led to a different outcome? Right. 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 For sure. For sure. Well, one of the things I, I've noted that you've kind of pointed out is that, you know, I was starting to go towards like, okay, we're talking about people get so into action, but they don't step back and think. And yet, you know, a big part of achievement, you said, is being intentional and purposeful. And yet I've also kind of asked different people this perspective around like, do you set a vision for yourself? Do you have a sense of where you're going? And I think that's important, but also holding it loosely, right? Um, some people push back on that because they think like, hey, if you think it, it forces you to think too far out, you can't forecast the future or you don't know what you don't know. So how can you kind of forecast the future? Um, but I'm kind of curious with this importance of kind of being intentional and purposeful, how do you think about this, Al? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm, I would have told, I, I think my perspective on this has changed a little bit and I'm not sure if it's because I'm quote unquote getting older and I just have a different perspective or, or just for some other thing. I very much used to be of the mindset of having that vision mapped out, uh, that vision and then being able to align your activities and actions to work towards that vision. Um, I also very much, because I worked in consulting, have very much a mindset of, okay, First, we do the assessment, then we do the strategy, then we do the business case, and then we do the roadmap, and then we execute, right? And so between those two things, like I, I would have told you that maybe about five or six or seven years ago that, that you should have that five or 10-year plan. I think the reality of it is just as, I don't know if it's just because of the world of which we are in today or because I'm just, again, getting older and maybe slightly wiser. Uh, I, I think it's important. I think it helps to have a direction that you want to go in. And certainly there's a lot of value of having goals for yourself, but I'm a little bit looser in terms of how, uh, or I should say, I'm a little bit less uh, stringent on, in terms of how close you stay to those because there are things that just sometimes emerge and, and come up. But that's also where I do think paying attention and being reflective can really help people thrive in if you're going to be in that environment, right? And even if you are someone who doesn't really love the idea of a vision or having plans, being able to reflect and to stop and to think is going to be your key differentiator into actually figuring out of the bazillion things that you might want to do or without a North Star, what it actually might make, make sense to do. And so I, I think part of it, quite frankly, is just recognizing for myself that there's a lot more gray in this world than black and white. And in a black and white world, that five or 10 year vision plan and executing the steps against it probably sees the light of day a lot more than in a world that, that isn't like that. And I think just the reality of where we are in the world today, the world of grace, just being able to have a loose idea of what you want and, and then the flexibility to pay attention to, to, to move and, and to take advantage of the emergent opportunities is, is really, really important. Um, one of the models that we used a lot when I did consulting was this idea of being able to sense and respond. So to be able to sense what's out there and then respond in the, in the right way. And that was something that we talked to organizations about in terms of how they could adapt to the ever-changing needs of their customers and markets. But I also very much think it applies 
to how we as individuals think about what's going on in our own lives. Uh, I love a lot of that. And I think that, and I appreciate that you are pushing back on me a little bit in terms of this vision piece. I also though believe I'm kind of like, Hey, be going in the right direction. Right. And I also think about vision in the context of your life, because I want people to think about work in the context yeah. of their life, sure. but yeah. to hold it loosely. And, you know, you and I champion this paying attention. I love the sense and respond aspect of it too. But I, what I also pulled through and what you were sharing, Al, is that, you know, some of us are going to be wired to kind of be like, I want to be a doctor or yeah. I want to be a CEO or, sure. you know, have a very clear thing. Even, even in some of those, you still might step off the path, <laughs> but right. You know, but some of us aren't going to necessarily have such a clear vision. And I think that's the majority of us. And I think yeah. that where people, what I appreciate and I want to pull through and what you said and, and make sure I highlight is this notion of it means you have to be paying attention that much more. And exactly. almost, you know, and, and it's almost like I it goes back to kind of your idea of playing a game because I wish that, I don't know if you experience this, Al, but I mean, I'm sure you probably do. Like, so much of this, oftentimes it's angst ridden for people managing sure. our careers and thinking about what's next. And yeah. I don't know what's next, et cetera. And what I want to do is try to reduce that angst, bring a little bit more joy and playfulness to this, where it's kind of like, hey, it, you have opportunities to explore. You don't know. I mean, most of us kind of don't like change or want certainty, right? And so it's yeah. kind of like what we're describing is you almost have to play with this a little bit and be willing to be open to possibility as you kind yeah. of navigate through your career. I, I, yeah, I, where, I don't know if this is where you're going with this, but something that just came up to me while you were talking about this is something that I have been harping on for a while and talking to people about. And so the context of this is this idea, which I know you're familiar with, which is the corporate ladder, right. And climbing the corporate ladder. Right. And, and that honestly, I think, I don't know this for facts, but I would assume that is where a lot of this idea of having the 10 year plan really came as an outgrowth of, right? Because if you know where you want to go, then you can use the ladder to help you get there. And, you know, the problem and challenge I have with the corporate ladder is not that it doesn't exist. Like there are some industries where it very much does exist, but in a lot of the dialogue and discourse about career growth uh, over the past decade or so is that we throw up these models of what is out there, but what we don't really make space for is that different things are going to work for different people. Uh, there are going to be some people who love the idea of the lattice or being able to go across, down, sideways, vertically. There are some other people who are going to throw up at that because that choice over just does it, it just totally overwhelms them. Or if, listen, if you're in a law firm or an investment bank, I would not want to tell you that the corporate ladder is dead because the only way to rise up in those industries is, is that way. Uh, but, and then there are other things like the portfolio, right? In terms of being able to have a bunch of different projects where you pursue career growth through. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other different models. And the point of this, where I'm going with this is that I, I think what's evolved my thinking around having that, that vision has been recognizing that there are multiple ways to pursue career growth, whether it's the ladder, whether it's the lattice, whether it's the portfolio, whether it's anything else. But the way to take advantage of that, regardless of whether or not you want to have a vision is you have to be self-aware to know what of those models is going to work for you, what you think is going to be best for your own growth, and the self-reflection to want to do the work to figure out how that happens. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I appreciate that you're pushing on this, like that there are multiple ways, right, to find career growth and to, and, and then that all of us aren't wired the same. And I, 
you know, wholeheartedly agree with that. And I, I think part of the challenge, and I don't know, maybe this is what we'll do with some of your new work that you're stepping into Al. Like one of the things that, like I can champion this and where I sometimes get challenges when I think about the work world out there and whether or not they're really adapting to allow for this level of flexibility within how all of us want to best work, right? And want to contribute. And is there room enough for everybody to contribute in the way that they um, can contribute or is best for them, right? And and instead of it just being like, I'm sure we've both been in up or out cultures, right? Within work right. environments. And so I don't, personally, I feel like work environments don't allow for enough, like different yeah. levels or types of ambition or different ways that we see career growth and, and what rewards each of us, right? What motivates each of us within that spectrum. And it's almost like we have to create it for ourselves or, yeah. you know, and I just am curious, like, you know, maybe as you're starting to do some of your new work too, is is that yeah. some of what you're starting to champion? Yeah, no, it is. And it's a great, it's a great pull through. I think what I've seen from my experience is that you see some of that at the individual manager, manager or leader level. I have been really lucky in that I've had a, a number of different managers who were very active in the development of their employees and the employees' careers. And so I can wholeheartedly say that there are people that get it that are out there. Where it stops is thinking about it as an organizational capability. There are not enough companies out there that have embraced this as an organizational capability or mindset. And, and that's where you get you get kind of challenged. And I would also argue there's probably not enough managers out there and enough leaders out there who believe in it as well. And like a really quick example of where this falls short is that if you are a company that tells your employees that you do believe in the lattice and, a lot, and that people should look for career growth across, down, or sideways, but you don't create processes and structures, and structures that enable individuals to raise their hands to say, I'm really looking for an internal transition, or you make it prohibitive uh, to them to actually move internally, so much so that they would rather just leave and go work for another company. Uh, or in some cases, it is easier for them. There's a stat out there, I don't remember off the top of my head, but a certain amount of people believe it's a lot easier to find a job elsewhere than it is to actually move internally, right? And so that's, again, like one clear example where the framework and the idea of career growth has evolved, but the structure the mindset, the actual organizational capabilities are just not there yet. And it's, and it's different. I, I, and, the, and the challenge often rises too in the fact that the people who set and make the decisions around those are a lot of times having to grok something that they themselves did not grow up with, right? And, it, and, all, and in a lot of cases probably did not make, get them to be successful to where they are. And so, I, I, and, and, and amidst all the other different challenges that that they have with it, but but yes, I think it's really hard. And the other point that you made, it does require a certain amount of investment in this idea that we as a company will be better by enabling people, by empowering this flexibility, enabling people to have their own paths, and really promoting development and growth uh, of the individual. And I, and I can understand why that would be a scary thing and a challenging thing. And I've talked to plenty of executives who, who, who are scared and challenged by it. It's not easy, uh, but it does take you to kind of cross that chasm to get to that, to that mindset as a leader. And it's just, uh, there are, there's a lot more work to be done in that space. Yeah, for sure. And, um, I, I just agree with you. <laughs> I hope that companies start to move in that direction and allow, allow for more 
opportunity and potential and yeah. for people to step into different levels of, of ambition, if you will. Um, I am curious too, you know, you talk about kind of this idea of having a mindset for career growth, or we were talking about career growth. And I think sometimes, again, maybe it goes back to the awareness piece, you know, but, you know, sometimes again, people aren't even thinking about that or stepping into yeah. that part of it. Yeah. And then you also have talked about the importance of creating your own goalposts and mile markers, which I think is also really important. So there's, there's this kind of like component where you hope like the company supports you, right? But there's also this stepping into each of us. We've been talking about this quite a bit here and you model it, Al, which is, you know, you have to take responsibility for yourself as well. And in doing that, it can actually lead to better, better success in a way I might, if I use that term. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And the, what I've been calling it is that, uh, is this idea of uh, having a, a well-functioning career operating system, right? Which is essentially uh, an infrastructure of, of, of a mindset and habits that uh, support effective career growth. And so if you think about another operating system out there, like the operating system that runs your iPhone or that runs your computer, um, you don't really think about it because it just hums in the background, right? But because of it humming in the background, it enables all of your apps to work on your phone or on your computer. And I very much view uh, your career operating system in a very similar way. Once you have the mindset and habits of career growth, you can just let it, you just kind of do it. It just comes second nature. And it's just kind of always there and always on. And that was something that I was really fortunate to learn and really develop pretty early in my career. Uh, but is something that I've also noticed in terms of other people out there who I look who seem to be um, by like some measure of objective measure, like quote unquote successful in terms of being able to do the things that they want in their career. Um, that is something that they have that maybe separates them from just other really hardworking and, and smart people. But it, it does kind of take a, a mindset and set of habits. And I think for me, uh, what that really ultimately is about, it, it does kind of come back to this whole idea. We just keep harping on it of self-awareness and self-reflection of knowing the things that you're interested in, knowing the things that you're good at, um, knowing how you want to work every day in a way that energizes and excites you, and then having the ability to go out and do that or acquire the things that you need uh, in order to take advantage of those things. And then the ability to reflect on that, right? And to figure out where there's gaps or there's opportunities for you to, to learn and grow in. Um, but all of that really comes back to that infrastructure at that base layer of yourself that just uh, for me at this point, like it's sometimes it's hard to, for me to explain it. It's just, well, I just do it. And, and that's when you know you kind of, your operating system is just running because it just is doing a thing that allows you to do everything else that you do. Right. It's become intuitive, quite intuitive and just yeah. second nature and a part of your overall habits. Um, there are a couple of things I wanted to make sure I just touched on before I wrap up our conversation. Yeah. Like one is, because this has just been a theme of late. So I wanted to just touch mm -hmm. on it with you, Al, which is, this idea of the importance of others beyond yourself yeah. and the the importance of having people around you and career success. And that's been yeah. around the idea of building connections, having mentors, being a part right. of a community. You know, you said that, you know, community is really a way to kind of maybe it uh, using a term that I think you use, like it could be an ex considered a career accelerant. Like, how yeah. do you think about community and why that's important? Yeah. It's, it, I, I'm glad you brought this up and it's super important. And I can make this real for both of us as, as ind independent business people and entrepreneurs or anyone going off in their own business, your community, particularly when you're starting off is everything, right? In terms of getting set up, learning the best practices, getting feedback and advice, learning how to do things that other people have done and gone through, but are foreign to you. And 
while community was important to me in the work and when I was in the corporate world, it has become even more important to me because uh, in the corporate world, you have the luxury of being around people all the time. When you're an independent entrepreneur, it, you're the uh, you're the you're the you're kind of like flying solo. So I, I think it's incredibly important. But what I think about this idea a lot of times is that I really think that managing your career was always meant to be a team sport, not an individual one. And I think where we may have over-indexed so much on uh, individual performance and rugged individualism, which, by the way, still important. But again, like you work with really successful people, I work with successful people. If you ask them, what do you, if you ask them to honestly be honest with yourself about what you think led to your success, I'm going to bet nine out of the ten of those people, or one of the very first things they're going to say is because of my relationships with other people, right? And you know, I think. That is a really good, important reminder that while individual hard work and being smart and uh, putting in the effort is really, really important, you will do more and you will go farther faster uh, when you're out actively cultivating relationships with other people. And this is for getting feedback. This is for sharing ideas. This is for asking really hard questions about what you should do in your career. This is for staying on top of your industry. Uh, this is for helping other people because every single time you invest in that career opportunity, that opens up the surface area for more opportunities to come your way. And so I think for me, I've just seen so many examples of people who have gone out of their way to build their own community or become a part of their community. And in return for what they gave to it and how they invested into it, the opportunities were 10X. And so that's why I, I believe strongly in it. And anything major that has happened in my career, I can trace back to having that community of people who supported me along the way. Mm, so powerful. And I love this idea of it being thought of as like a team sport. It goes back to like that game, <laughs> some, yeah. some sports metaphors, but, um, but I, it's, it's really interesting to me also because I, that on the one hand, like you said, if you were to ask people like what really led to their success, I mean, I would also say the same, like I was so lucky I had this individual, that individual, et cetera. And yet there's this friction around yeah. networking. Sure. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I loved this talk that I listened to recently that talked about, you know, make a connection, not an impression, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, and yeah. this, like, it, it really seems like networking needs a reframe. Yeah. And I'm curious when you counsel people on this, is it just the team sport thing or is it even having them reflect on, you know, what's led to your success so far? Like, do you, have you found anything that gets people over like the, the, this cringe na nature of um, networking or a way to think about coming at it so that it feels like doable and also enjoyable? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think you're right. I, well, yes, I 100% agree that networking needs a rebrand. Um, and it's, I think we all kind of have some people, not all, I should say, but a lot of people definitely have their own kind of beliefs about what it is or what they think it is. So I, I think, I think there's, I think there's a couple things. I think the first thing is, is just because of digital tools and technologies and because of just the state of the world today, and because of the internet, quite frankly, there are, there's literally people in communities for everyone. Like you think of like the most niche thing in the world, there is another group of people that care just about it, as much about that niche as you do. And you could go and find them, right? And this kind of comes back to just almost honestly being in kindergarten and on the playground 101. People sometimes affiliate with people who have a shared interest. And so one of the very easy ways to kind of like think about this and frame this up is like, well, who are other people that have the same interest that you want to just have a conversation with or you want to share ideas with? Um, I, so that's like one thing. I think the second thing is acknowledging that 
There's lots of formats and venues to do this. You just have to find the one that works for you. And again, this is the beauty, again, of digital tools and technology, where it, it can be a Zoom call. It can be a phone call. It can be in a, uh, a community, online community. It can be in a Slack channel. It can be in a Discord. It can be on Twitter. It can be in person. It can be an event. It can be a local thing in your community. It can be a lot of different things. You just have to find the one where you show up best and you're going to feel excited about. I do think the other thing, which I have to give a lot of credit to people like Adam Grant and Tim Sanders for in terms of really anchoring it on also giving you a chance to give and serve others. Uh, I often find, you know, for certain types of people, it's a really good way to reframe for them about, hey, like this is not just about you uh, taking things from other people. It's also a chance for you uh, to share with others in ways that may benefit them and also will probably benefit you. And I, you know, and, and along with that, this is also a good reminder and a good way for people, particularly those who have privilege or power, as a means for being able to open, you know, doors for other people, right? And I would just say, like, the last thing is, is like, at the end of the day, like, part of why many of us work is because we want to feel connected to other people anyway. Like that is like, like fundamentally, like what like work is about, and just kind of getting back to that core. I think what has always helped me, kind of, grok this and be. Other, others oriented is just the fundamental belief that my life will be richer because I am doing it with and alongside other people. And I think it's just kind of a philosophical thing. If you can anchor back on like, none of us go to work, not a lot of us don't go to work each day just because we want to be by ourselves. We do this thing because we want to be connected to other people. And just having that reminder, I think also can maybe help. I appreciate that. I mean, there's so much research right out there that says that right. happiness exactly. is really about yeah. like connecting with others, right? So, I mean, and yes, that can happen at work as well, right? So before we wrap up, I had two final questions for you. One yeah. is I want to make sure I get in. Tell us about Better Work Labs and what impact you'd like to have on the work world through what you hope to do with Be with Better Work Labs. Yeah, uh, Better Work Labs is a uh, talent development an advisory firm. So I work with companies as well as higher education institutions, um, either on the question of how do we attract uh, the best and brightest and most diverse talent? Uh, and then also how do we develop and grow them so that they can be productive and unleash their power and potential uh, within an organization? Um, so it's a mix of consulting as well as leadership development work. And the impact that I hope to have is that I believe that work and careers in general is a wonderful opportunity for people uh, to show up as their best self and to contribute in a way that advances us in society. And I want to do whatever I can to give as many people the opportunity uh, to do that, whether that's cre helping create companies that can uh, create more opportunities for people to do that, uh, managers and leaders to gain the tools to go and do that, or higher education institutions to prepare them uh, with the insight they need to arm the next generation of workers in order to do that. Um, that's really what comes back to for me. And a lot of that is just steeped on the fact that along the cor course of my career so far, there have been many people who have done that for me. And I've gotten plenty of meaning and impact out of the work that I get to do each day. And so uh, if I can do that for other people, that will help me live a really, really impactful, meaningful, and fulfilling life. I mm, love it. Uh, well, we all hope, wish you the best with that work because it's going to benefit all of us, right, um, out here. And hopefully you can also champion getting organizations to really allow for these different paths and ways of working within these uh, corporate environments. And so... Um, my final question for you, we didn't go deeply into sustainable ambition, but I am curious if just to wrap up, like if you'd have a final piece of advice or a main takeaway on how people could achieve sustainable ambition, either Al, in terms of 
managing their career from decade to decade or like making it more sustainable in the moment? Yeah, it's a good question. And I, and I'm, I, I wish we could have talked more on this only because it, it really does resonate with me in, in so many different ways. Uh, I, I, in my own life, but what I would say, what I would say is this. First thing I would say is that if you want to be at your best, if you want to be at your absolute best, that means acknowledging that you actually need to put yourself in positions where you can actually do that. If you believe that that is a worthwhile and important degree, and you also believe in the average statistics of life expectancy, as well as for how long careers are, there is an implicit acknowledgement that you probably can't treat a marathon like a sprint and run all the time. And so sustainable ambition, I think, is really being thoughtful and intentional about for the period of which you're in, how do you want to perform and grow? And what are you going to do in order to set yourself up to have the best shot at doing that? And that may mean uh, taking rest. It may mean having a or being able to really think about what career growth looks like at this stage in your life versus others. And then I think the second thing is, is on, particularly on the ambition piece, is that is meant to be defined by you. And it really takes a, the going on the journey of defining what that is. And so that's what makes it sustainable, in my opinion, because it makes it worthwhile to you and meaningful to you and personalized to you. And so that would be my take on it and why I think it's super important and worthwhile to, to, to shoot for yeah, uh, love that. Well, we have so much in terms of shared thinking, but you've taken it deeper and further, Al, and what you shared today. I, I, as I've said all along, I'm loving so much of this conversation. And maybe I'll have you back so we can come go a little bit deeper on sustainable ambition, so people can stay in touch with you. Tell us where they should find you and reach out. Yeah, and Kathy, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a jam talking with you. I, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to follow along or connect with me, or you can check me out at betterworklabs.com. Awesome. Well, and of course, I'll capture all of that in the show notes. Al, this has been a great conversation. I can always talk with people a lot longer than people will probably even listen, but this has been a fabulous conversation. Thanks again for being here with me today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance, It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.